0: Hello, Dental Online Trainers, this is Dr. Dennis Hartlieb. Welcome to another episode of DOT ShareCast. Sit back, relax and enjoy the conversation. Hello, Dental Online Trainers, I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb and welcome back to this episode, our ShareCast. I am thrilled to welcome a guy that I kind of know, kind of don't know, we've kind of met. Um, I want to tell you our little bit backstory on how I got to know Brian, but this is Brian. Uh, Brian Balewas? Is that how, am I saying it right?
1: Yeah, yeah, Baliwas.
0: Baliwas, all right. Thank you for correcting me. I'm so bad with last names. <laughs> I, uh, I When I talked to Adamo Elvis last uh, last well, time, that's a tough one. He, he gave me permission not to have to ever say his last name again. So I just call him Adamo Elvis now. I love it. So Brian, thank you for joining us today. Uh, uh, no for For those of you who don't know Brian, Brian uh, is also known as San Francisco Dental Nerd, if you follow him on Instagram. If you don't follow him on Instagram, then you need to follow him on Instagram. We're gonna talk about that in just a little bit. Brian, uh, thank you for joining us. I have so many questions uh, that I'm just gonna sort of jump in and start asking you stuff. So if you want it. um, First of all, you're out in San Francisco, so that's part of your, we know that from your handle. Yeah. I, I know a little bit of your background, but share your background with, uh, with with our listeners and viewers and wa- and readers. You are not from a dental family, as I understand it, right?
1: I'm not. No, my my father was um, in the military. He was a Navy guy, and, and he came here from the Philippines in the '80s, actually late '70s, and and kind of got his citizenship that way. Came over with uh, not a lot of money in his pocket and some big dreams to to hopefully bring his family over here and kind of create something. And so I was uh, born in 1982, so you can do some math there of how old I am.
0: Born in the States or born in the Philippines?
1: Yeah, San Diego. Yeah, oh. down at, um, my dad was stationed down in Balboa. Ah, huh? actually, so are you a surfer? You know what? I surfed a little bit, but no, I wouldn't call myself a surfer. I'm more of like a snow skier, snowboarder type. The water okay. just kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you no, know, there's no sh- sharks on the <laughs> on the snow, so yeah, I I don't ar- I don't argue that. Yeah. So tell me how you got into dentistry. Who influenced you? We're well, like, there must have been something that something something raised your interest. You
1: know what? I've always wanted to be in the health field, so you know yep. I went through college kind of knowing that I wanted to do something like that. Thought about being a dentist. We've always joked around like, ah, oh, I should be a
0: dentist. Why? Like, where would that come from? I'm curious.
1: I don't know, actually, I, I, you know, and I can lie and say, oh, it's I like being artistic. And and there was just something about it. Uh, You know, my best friend growing up, his father was a dentist and I'd Mm -hmm. always go to his place. And and I'll be honest, there was a little bit of, wow, they are living pretty comfortably. And no doubt. Right. Yeah. My family didn't really come from a lot. And um, there's a little bit of that appeal. And it's interesting because going through college, I didn't have great grades and I tried applying to dental school, didn't get in and um, ended up having to go to a postbac program where I really stepped up the grades and ended up going and getting into dental school. So um, it wasn't until I actually started getting serious about, hey, like, I should actually take my studies in school seriously, that I started volunteering at a couple clinics. Um, I started shadowing started, uh, I was interning at a dental office. And I said, Oh, wow, like this is this goes beyond um, making a great living. This is actually um you're touching people's lives people are happy to see you it's a happy profession um i've always been you know going back to the the generic answers you get about dentistry it's like i, right. I have always liked working with my hands i used to build models sure i'm going to date myself again but back in the day you used to take these plastic part models and you strip them off these trees and and you paint each of the individual pieces and you glue them with with uh Model cement. I don't know if that's a thing anymore.
0: I I, I doubt that very much. But yeah. uh, you're not you dating but yourself because yeah, it was
1: fun. It was fun. And so you know, I I can see myself enjoying something like being a surgeon, or like like internal medicine. But there's something about the pressure and 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 also the 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 interactions you have with patients. You know, even if you're a, uh, you have a successful heart surgery, you still have complications. It's not a happy place. Whereas this dentist I was shadowing. Patients loved going to see them, they'd get cosmetic work done, they were happy afterwards. It was just a great vibe to the office and, and that that relationship with the patients is a little different than um, other healthcare professions.
0: You know, I was talking to Adamo about this and I think there's like two paths in dentistry. Either A, we come from a dental family or we're to- totally influenced by a dentist, you know, and it could be a family member, it could be a relationship of some sort, or, I think more commonly is people like ourselves that come from a more blue collar background and look at dentistry as an opportunity to be able to influence people and help people and serve people and be able to use our hands and be able to be part of the health professions. And I've always said that it's hard enough for me to tell people that they have a tooth that's dying um, when I was thinking about going into medicine, I, I I couldn't even think about having to tell someone that they were dying or someone that I had just worked on had just uh, just you know passed on. So um, I'm with you, and I think that uh, I think that's not this you know uncommon with all of us that are in dentistry. I think we follow a similar path that way. What's yeah, your no, surprise exactly. now that you're in dentistry? What's your what's your biggest surprise?
1: My biggest surprise is that you know I always have thought that there were these destinations in life. You know, like, oh, man, once I get into dental school, things will be great. You know, once yeah. I graduate, this is going to be awesome. Once I buy a practice, right am going to be set. Yeah. And milestones that I haven't reached yet, like, oh, once I get married, once I have kids, once I retire, and I'm realizing that life isn't some sort of destination. <laughs> it's just like one thing after another. And so my biggest surprise is I thought that, you know, once I was a dentist, that was it. I'd be doing one thing over and over again, doing that. But I'm finding that every, you know, month, every event I go to, every CE class I take, it just changes my dentistry and my viewpoint on dentistry just a little bit. And it's just ever evolving. Yeah. And sometimes it's my dentistry that I'm stressed about, sometimes it's the business aspect of it. Right. Sometimes it's my patients and sometimes it's my team. Yep. Uh, it's 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 not what I expected, but I'm having fun with it. So that's I want to cool.
0: talk more about that, and it's funny because it made me think when you're talking about how like these destinations and my my best friend when I, I moved to Chicago from, I went to Michigan undergrad in dental school and then I moved to Chicago, and my best buddy was working for Arthur Anderson or Price, one of the big ones, and he would come home with his clothes dry cleaned and I would see him pick up his dry cleaning and I thought I'll know I'll have made it when I can afford dry cleaning. <laughs> then, that was like the ceiling, I thought that was it. And then turns out then there's the next thing and the next thing. Yeah, yeah. So when you're, I wanna talk about your practice and the reason that I really wanted to talk to you, Brian was two issues. Um, first of all, I'm a big admirer of your Instagram tag and I'm sure you hear that all the time. I wanna talk about more about that. And also about a practice that is dedicated to fee for service and overcoming some of the obstacles with insurance-based practices and all. Uh, But before we get into that, I always like asking dentists. um, And this is easy for you because you're so dang young. Um, And this is actually, this is why I wanted to talk to you, because I've been doing this for a long time, over three decades. So for our young listeners, our young viewers, my perspective, it's, you know, while there are some, some commonalities and some similarities from what I went through when I was a young dentist, the world has changed significantly. And so it's it's sort of like oh when I was a kid this is how we used to do it and that's you know and that that that's okay but it's not the full story because the full story is the the world is richer in many different ways, and the life experiences are so challenging so different, and I'm eager to speak to you because I think you can bring a perspective for our young dentists instead of listening to this old geezer tell them about oh well this is how I did it, I'm super curious super curious about how you've managed. To go through some of the um, the challenges of the practice that you have. So, but first, before I ask that, um, what was your first dental procedure that you did in dental school outside of a Profi? the first real dental procedure?
1: Numbered, I remember this. It was a number two amalgam, a do amalgam, on number two, and I was going, you know, like really, all right, like let's let's do this.
0: Who throws you into that? I mean, how does this work? Like like in medicine, that'd be like that'd be like in medicine. You're like a fourth year med student, and they'll say, you know, why don't you go take her this bypass? (laughs) It's like, well, I don't know. I think maybe I ought to learn a little bit more first, and maybe get into some some easier stuff. But dental school is so screwy. They'll throw you into some of the most challenging procedures as your very first procedure. It makes no sense.
1: Oh, it was brutal. And I remember three distinct things about this this procedure. Is one going in there and asking constantly, like, do you think I should go deeper? Mind you, I'm still an amalgam. Because I was a right, oh, idea. I yeah, you know, see all that stuff? Yeah, that's amalgam. <laughs> you can't, you got to get rid of it. So keep going. Me not being able to put on a Toffelmeyer. And oh. so, like, I put it on there and I couldn't get it deep enough. Sure, and of course not. Little did I know. And now I do this constantly, but you can push down a little deeper and it will actually cut some How tissue. How about
0: that? And right.
1: There it is. It's okay. But, like, don't be afraid of blood. And then it was. Checking, this is, I'll never forget this. I still remember the feeling of when this happened, like going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just built this. Look how beautiful it is. And I said, all right, go ahead and tap, tap, tap.
0: No, you did not ask them to bite down on it.
1: You did not.
0: That's, that's a sin. This distal
1: marginal ridge. Of course it did. Crumbles. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. And clinic time was running out. Right. You know, they had to jump in and help me out. It was brutal,
0: brutal. Yeah, I tell you. Uh, I hear people say that dentistry is easy. And uh, people say that I guess they don't do number two DO restorations. (laughs) I've been doing a long time. I still find dentistry to be really challenging. I mean, keeping things isolated, keeping things, you know, keeping the patient from talking while you're working on them, keeping a rubber dam on if you're using a rubber dam. So many, so many, you know, so many issues. All right. So Brian, I was, I Became aware of you because of my partner, Dr. Chris Ching. I oh, I love Chris. Him. Yeah, and uh, I love him too. And see, so we got that in common. We both love Chris. <laughs> uh, so Chris showed me your your, your Instagram page, and uh, and I and like many people, I fell in love. And you have at last, I kind of you have like two two hundred fifty million followers, I think. I've lost track. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's, right. Something like that.
0: You have a lot of followers. It's around thirty thousand,
1: which I'm honored there'd be that many people who would wanna see my content.
0: What I, what I particularly like about your content, first of all, you're incredibly vulnerable. I gotta say, man, um, you are, for me, from my, from my perspective, you're not just vulnerable about your dentistry, you're vulnerable about who you are as a person. You put things out there that I think uh, are, you could easily be criticized for your viewpoint. I think part of it's your generation. I have a daughter who's 25 and you know she's not afraid to sort of put herself out there and say, this is what I believe, this is my world. Um, I inherited this crap world that my parents left for me and I'm gonna speak out on the stuff, the injustices that I see. And so maybe it's part of your generation, maybe it's just you guys are just individually created that way. Um, but I, I have to tell you, I'm not nearly as vulnerable on on my in my social media stuff as you are and I give you a lot of credit are you like that in person? Are you that vulnerable in person?
1: You know, I feel like I've gone through so many iterations of myself and social media alike. I mean, you could probably find an example of me not being so um, open and, and being very opinionist, uh, opinionated about something in the past. You know, there was a time where I'd get on social media and I'd be offended by things and comment. And I think it's just being on there so long, I've just kind of transitioned and I've realized that, that you know, there's so many different ways to do dentistry and to get things done and different opinions that everybody has. And, and recently I've just been trying to take a step back and be more positive about things. And, and I really think that that's gonna be a big thing for social media in general, um, not just with dentistry, but, but yep. in general, like when you read something, we really have to take a step back and not react right away right and so how i portray myself on social media i think is is honest it's it's who i am but it, it hasn't always been like that i've been that person who i've critiqued who i critique now and sure that right now the biggest thing is just about being ethical you know and and, and doing the right thing and, and just trying to spread positivity when we can
0: well i think you're uh, you're really creative you're really funny um I, one of my favorites, and I I don't have it in front of me, but essentially it was like, this is a cost of products. If you order from your dental, from your dental supplier. And I can't remember, it was like a a thing of alcohol, like, you know, isopropyl alcohol. (laughs) And the the price was like, you know, $380 if you order through your, through your dental supplier. And it's like $22 if you go to the hardware store. And, And that's the stuff that you provide content for. And I think there's some, some real great reality. You, you, you have a great a filter to see reality and see the distortion between sort of, sort of the world that we live in and what's going on in reality. You have a really good view of that. And I think, especially at your age, I think it's really impressive. It's really cool at any and age.
1: I think it starts a conversation about stuff and it kind of brings things to light. And and that actually started, uh, I had so many people commenting about, um, you know, I, I like to give little tips and tricks on my page. Uh, you know, here here's how you can save a little bit of money here in your practice by using this material. Yeah, uh, but then you also have to know when you can do that and when you can't. You know, because then I get people who go, "Well, what kind of bonding agent are you using?" And I'm going, well, "Oh, humping I'm on that." Right. It, it's you can do it with certain things and not
0: others. Right. So you don't have to uh, you don't have to go to Costco to buy your dental bonding agent, but you can go to Costco <laughs> to get your paper towels, for instance. There you go. Yeah, I think you and the dental, dental tubes are the, uh, my two favorite um, groups to follow because you guys have such, uh, you have great insights, you have great information, and uh, you're just kind of fun to follow. Hey, a-
1: Lawson's great. He's Nate's one of my said,
0: favorites. Nate's doing a great job. Me and his team are doing a great job down there. So that's, yeah. that's where I got introduced to you. So my first question, really, as we get into this, so Brian, I want to get into like how you started your practice. You graduated in 2014, if I remember, from, yeah. from Portland, from Oregon. No, I actually,
1: so I graduated 2014 from UOP Pacific. I went oh, to Oregon. I went to U of O for uh, my post-bacc. Um, long story short, I got out of school and said, all right, I need a job like most people do. Yep. Most grads now are working at multiple practices. I didn't have a parent who was a dentist who I could go work for. I just had to kind of go out and try out different things. I almost went out to Texas to work for a DSO out there. And somebody said, hey, you know, you should really practice where you want to live. And so I said, okay, well, let's try the city. It's close to my family. I like it out here. Um, so I worked at a c- couple different practices, but the one that really kind of started things for me was a practice where um, somebody had bought a big group practice downtown. Okay. And since they were running space, so what they said was, hey, you know, you can build a practice within this practice. I'm um, starting off, you don't have to pay me anything, but um, what you'll do is as we collect from your patients, we'll pay you thirty percent of whatever we collect. So in a sense, I was running a seventy percent overhead practice right off the
0: bat, right? Yep. Uh, and this, but- is this is great and this is this is I think so so interesting, Brian, because I think this this is I, I get a lot of I work work with a young uh, dental study club graduates of Marquette, and I have a lot of uh, young dentists I talk to, and this is this is a big issue. How do I get started and where, you know, if I'm gonna get into a practice, how am I going to make it in this practice? So I'm glad you're starting right there because that's what we need to understand.
1: That's exactly it. And so that's one aspect of it. And then I was at another practice where I was a true associate. They paid me 25% of, of my production and all I was responsible for was doing the dentistry, writing my notes and leaving. I had, I mean, I was literally a
0: cog in the wheel. And what type of practice was that? Describe that practice.
1: Was a, it was a private practice still, but it was very insurance based. It was a lot busier. And it had a very different philosophy from my own practice that I was building within this other one. Um, I've been taught to be fairly conservative. All my mentors um, have taught me well. And again, I think the hardest thing to learn in dentistry is how to be ethical. Yeah. Um, have to say that this other place wasn't being ethical. It's just a different philosophy. Um, it's a lot more cookie cutter, which again, sounds negative, but not necessarily. It's just more um, less personalized care than I'm comfortable providing.
0: Now the practice, um, so the other practice that you were essentially um, space sharing or, or renting space and they were taking a cut from you, mm-hmm. were you then, you were building your own practice within that practice or were that you building a separate, separate practice collateral to that practice?
1: Yeah. So no, that was it. It was just that my brian baliwass dds is part of this bigger group practice and there's other dentists doing that and we were in charge of marketing and trying to get our own patients in the door we shared staff we shared materials we did all of that but really it was on us to kind of build that practice patients weren't being handed to me patients weren't calling the practice itself saying hey i'd like to get in and then there was a Okay, well, let's give one patient to you. The next patient goes to you. The next patient goes to you because the practice itself wasn't marketing, so it truly was a space. I always tell the story in my in my marketing lectures. But my first month, I made five hundred (laughs) dollars,
0: and I was like, big time. Go to Vegas. and I was
1: like, what? I think I made a mistake. I should have gone to Texas. And I'm, I'm talking to my friends who went out there, and I'm like, how much did you make? And I'm thinking, I'm looking at my student loans, I'm looking at my rent and I'm going, oh man, like, I really got to step it up and um, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a little bit. But that's when I really started to get creative about how do I market myself? How do I brand myself? How do I get patients in the door? Um, And unfortunately, one of the first steps I took was, well, why don't I sign up for insurance plans?
0: Let me ask you a question before we jump into that, because I do want to talk about that. That's yeah. so important. So I want to know about the culture of the practice that you're in. So you are one of several dentists that are in there. You're you're building your own practice, and you are essentially borrowing assistants or borrowing front staff. So you are you're at the mercy of the other team members that are there. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. True. And so, what what was the culture like of that practice? Is this the practice that you're in now?
1: Um, no. No, so I, I mean, I'm still there two days a week. It's been cut deck. And, and the only reason I'm, I'm still there is I don't have room to bring those patients over here. I mean, I'm, I'm busy at this practice that I've finally bought with one of the other doctors that I was working with there. Um, I'd say culture is one of the, the hardest things to establish. No doubt. And I think that's the tough thing about working in that type of environment of a group practices is I believe, and this is just what I think, I think there needs to be one person or a few people who set the tone for what that culture
0: is. Could not could not agree with you more. And this is, uh, and if I can interrupt for just for a second. Yeah. So um, we were talking about Chris Ching, my partner, and this is exactly what we're going through now in this transition. So Chris bought in about a year ago, oh, two years ago now, um, and the practice now is, is his, even though we're equal, we're 50-50 partners, but he's the future of the practice. And so the voice of the practice has to come from Chris not the old guy who sort of, I you know I got to hear, but you know, the reality is, is that in my point of my career, I, I can't bring it any further. I've, I've already set all the goals. I've already realized all my dreams, realized my goals in this in my practice. And now it's Chris's turn to now make his vision um, obvious in, in uh, guidance for the team members. So that's interesting that you say that because one of the things I think is a big mistake in partnerships is that there's there can be two voices. There can be in you know in a typical case a senior dentist and the and the younger dentist, and the team is going to follow the senior dentist, and the, unless the senior dentist will step back and the uh, the younger dentist will step forward and take that responsibility. But you need a clear defining voice.
1: Needs to be clear, and actually ours, I I would say the culture was much worse, um, in the sense that it was the senior or owner doc who said, well, I'm leaving it up to each of the individual doctors to kind of set their own culture. Well, when you do that, that's fine when you have individual teams, right? but it's one thing for an assistant or a team member to adjust to different procedural or task oriented things. It's another thing to to ask somebody to, to adapt to different cultures. Impossible. Philosophies. It's impossible because now. Yeah, you just you just can't do it. You know, one of my tenets that I've I've had from the very start is I'm never late to appointments. Never is is a strong word, and and I really mean it. And if if I have to pop out of an appointment to to go out to the waiting room or the reception area and say, you know, I'm so sorry, I'm still with the patient. I know we're we're supposed to start right now, but I'm going to need ten more minutes. I've 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 met with the patient. Like I'm not late with that interaction. There is no, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do for sure. That that has to be on time. And if not everybody is like that, it's just impossible to work as a cohesive unit.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, couldn't agree more. And if I can just add one thing on that for for our young young dental dental students and dentists that are listening, one thing that I do is I, I thank patients for their patience. so because i I do run late i ran late today and i had a patient not happy about it and um but i had to take a phone call from a surgeon for a patient that was in the chair i had you know blah 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 the things that happened and i just walked in and i immediately said thank you thank you for your patience i am very sorry i truly am sorry and that what are they going to say i mean it's not like they you know all of a sudden she's like okay and i said I, you know, things un, things that I did not expect happened, and I'm really sorry, but we're going to take care of you, and everything was fine, but you have to acknowledge you're running late. You have to greet them and say, thank you for being patient. I'm really sorry. Let's get, the, you know, I, but I, I acknowledge it. I need to acknowledge this.
1: And it can't be the norm. So from a right. cultural standpoint, in set up is it is an exception. It, this never happens, or I'm so sorry, whereas there are some practices that just run habitually 10 oh. to 15 minutes late and that is an hour, hour late hour yeah, and half I'm late i don't think it's right or wrong but you can't have those two mix um just to kind of uh, let people know there's this really good book called the culture code oh, that's, that's a really a really good read mm-hmm. uh, if you're a basketball fan it brings up uh, greg popovich and why he's such a winning coach it is an awesome read or listen if you're a listener um, it's really helped us establish
0: culture at our practice now. When I talk about bonding, I say that contour is king, and I think in practice, I think culture is king.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't think you can get beyond it. Yeah. So, right. so continue on. So you're in this. Uh, so you're in this practice, and you you have to develop your own practice. One of the things, Brian, and I hear from a lot of young dentists they get into an associate position, and unless you have a, a situation where a senior dentist has retired or passed on or whatever it's unlikely you're going to have a full-time practice to walk into right a senior dentist like me brings i brought chris in i said chris we're going to have to build your practice i'll help you with this but you got to build a practice and that's that's one of the things i really want to get from you on what what you did
1: yeah that that happens even with with um, some of my classmates who had parents who were dentists it's like they were kind of going in expecting oh i'm going to work with my my mom or my dad and not realizing that look unless they were running at 200% right they're not going to be hitting the ground running either. So
0: exactly, yeah. Um,
1: little things I did was, I, you know, I just had to kind of think outside the box and say, you know, what? Am I really going to spend a lot of money on a website? Am I going to spend money on ads? Am I going to? I I wanted to kind of build things organically, and um, so I just reached out. I, I kind of there's this idea that I, I say is is dated, but but not really. But I'll say back in the day. It was all about community building right like you would join a church group or you would join a softball league for sure or you would um you know create mouthpieces for the mouth guards for the little league team did all that and and what that does is you're building a community right and that community now realizes oh this is the dentist in our community we're going to go to that person um so i just tried to do that you know whether it was me going to the gym um meeting people um when i went out my big thing was letting people know, hey, I am a dentist in the city, and and here's who I am. If you enjoy my presence over a beer, or uh, you know, ne- next to me on a spin bike, you know, maybe you'd enjoy me, you know, doing dentistry.
0: And you're me. in downtown, you're in downtown San Francisco, so you. There it's are. not like there's not other dentists for people to go to. You're in a highly competitive marketplace, just like Chicago. That's right. So but you're doing old school techniques, you're you so part of, you know, if you're looking at like a fork, one of your prongs is, is that you are just connecting with people in a in a face to face manner.
1: That's I think that's the biggest thing. And again, there's no right or wrong. I think it's just it, it just fit my style a little bit better. And also my style of dentistry, which is a little bit more personalized. Um, one of the big mistakes I did, and I look back, it, you know, it, I'm glad I did it because I, I know that I'll never do it again was I signed up for a bunch of insurance plans
0: let's talk about that because i get that question all the time (laughs) so when i started i um i made the decision right and i don't know why and i and you know the um insurance back so i graduated in 88 i started practicing i did a residency for a year and i really started practicing around 91. Um, so we didn't have the same influences that are going on today but there there definitely was influences and i don't know what it was but it just seemed absolutely ridiculous that i would give away 30 or 40 or discount my fees by 30 or 40 percent and it just, i i thought you know what I'll, i'd rather just tough it out and charge what i need to charge to to make a living than do that but it's a lot different today it's you're much fortunate different.
1: to have that perspective though so you have to realize i got out of dental school here i am i joined a group practice where doctors are in network. For sure. And so for me, that's the baseline. So I'm going, okay, right. so I sign that's up norm. Yeah, I sign up for these plans, patients come to me, and then we charge $800 for a crown. Is that right? Okay, great. I'm coming out of dental school where crowns are 600 bucks. Okay. Well, yeah, how about that? So it sounds like $200 more in private practice. That's, that's fine. And it isn't until you start looking at, wait a minute, like, I want to use this lab like this lab's really doing good work for me oh wait how much is that lab bill okay well then if i'm doing that and it just doesn't you start to do the math and you go wait a minute how are you guys making this work and then you realize wait a minute ucr your your usual customary and reasonable fees your your fees that are for people who don't have insurance they're not higher to make up for the fact that you're charging a lower fee from insurance. I mean, that's, you want to talk unethical, that just makes no sense. That fee is actually your fee. Right. And you're discounting your work to be in network. And that was a big, I mean, that sounds so obvious now, you know, making it sound like it was a big revelation, but you would not believe how many patients, how many doctors don't know that.
0: Oh, and I, I those, absolutely.
1: Yeah, those fees are not normal. And they don't add up necessarily. What you're doing is you're discounting your work for an exchange in marketing. And in my opinion, it's not great marketing
0: because that's a great, it, that's a great way to put that. Could you say that? That's that's. So go deeper into that because that's such a perfect way to say no,
1: that. No, I, I was just going to say that that discount you're paying for marketing. You, it, it's not a discount on your work. You're you're just taking that money and you're putting it towards your marketing budget. Towards it's driving not,
0: people into your practice.
1: And it's not great marketing. And what I mean by that is, if people come to you because of a reason then they'll leave you for that same reason. And and what I mean by that is, is if somebody comes to you because you're in network, well, if you become out of network, then there's a chance you might lose that patient because that's the reason they came to you, right? Or if they if somebody comes to you because it's convenient, well, if something becomes more convenient, then they you might lose that patient. You kind of think about what that bond is, what that attraction is. And that's what I thought about that's what drove me towards what we were talking about earlier, which is I want to build connections with my patients. And and to this day, I still have patients who, you know, I'm sure they know that there's someone they can go to to, for better work or for that somebody that's closer to their location or somebody who doesn't work in a building with a $30 parking fee. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. But Why do they come to me? It's because they, we've built some sort of connection. They, they, they know and trust my work. Um, I'm, I'm transparent about it you got to build a solid foundation. And for me, I didn't realize this, but building a foundation of insurance-based um, patients just didn't fit my style. If, it's not a wrong thing to do. There are several practices that that make it work. For sure. Absolutely. But it's a very different style of, of, of a practice. And, and you need to be aware of that.
0: You have to decide what type of dentistry you want to do and when you're in a in a ppo practice or a practice that's dependent on that it's going to limit the type of dentistry you can do and if you're and if that's the dentistry you want to do then that's awesome and then you provide care for people who have a limited financial ability to pay for dentistry and you can do some great things for people but if you if you want to do more uh, more holistic or more uh, more comprehensive dentistry, more complete dentistry in some respects, but I'd say some more comprehensive dentistry, it can be pretty challenging, I think, in running through those programs.
1: Yeah, the, the other analogy that, that I've used to kind of explain this to some of my uh, students over at the dental school or, or um, some of my patients even is you know, it's, it's like running a restaurant. If I come right out of culinary school and I want to open a restaurant, you know what? One of the ways that you can get patients in the door, we've all heard of Groupon. For sure. What does it do? Like you open up a burger place and it says, Hey, with you get your burger half off and you get free fries. Well, the thing about Groupon is usually most of these Groupons say limit one use per customer. Why right. is that? Because if everybody bought the Groupon and got a burger at half off and got their fries for free, the restaurant is probably losing money on that. They're okay with it because it introduces everybody to their work. And hopefully you like the burger enough to stay and, and become a patron of that restaurant. The problem with insurance is it's not a, hey, your first visit is is covered at 100% along with your x-rays, it keeps discounting everything. So any, it's a Groupon forever. And so what ends up happening is you can really kind of get upside down in this. And if going back to that restaurant analogy, if all of a sudden I'm trapped and the only way people are coming to my restaurant is, is from Groupon coupons and I'm realizing that I'm losing money, where do I start making compromises? Right. Do I start you know, cranking out burgers a little quicker? Do I start buying ingredients from places that are a little cheaper? Do I, you know, there has to be a compromise and unless I'm willing to lose money, which most people aren't because they won't be open in a few months.
0: And as you said, when people are gonna seek you out based on what that, that denominator is. So if it's about price, if they can find it for cheaper, then they're likely to leave you because you yeah. haven't built that relationship, right? I think one of the biggest challenges in dentistry and what we've talked about with our team I, I, countless times is not not allowing us to be a commodity. Yeah. That when people go to the store and they're buying toilet paper from Costco, it's the same toilet paper they'll pick up at their local grocery store. It's a commodity and you can look at it from a price point. And I think the biggest challenge for dentists is to make sure that you're not a commodity, that you're not the same as the dentist they can go to that and pay one third or one half of what they're paying if you go to see you. And I think that's, that's what we have to get over. And that's what we have to learn to be able to build these relationships, have conversations and help people understand that.
1: I think that comes with, with education and it takes time to do that. And if you don't have the time to educate patients or, or some sort of clever way to do it, Um, you're going to lose. And for me, I use social media to educate patients. Um, I do spend a lot of time at new patient appointments. Think about it like this, like, um, how about wine, right? Somebody who's not into wine and knows nothing of wine, you can give them a really nice, you know, $400 bottle of cab, and you can go to Trader Joe's and get some, uh, you know, two buck chuck. And, and to them, it's a, it's a commodity. It's like they're, they're interchangeable.
0: It's a bottle of wine
1: the bottle of wine because they don't know. So how do you educate somebody if you're, uh, you know, trying to say, well, you know, you should really buy this more expensive bottle. You have to let them know. You you give them tasting notes. You you give them the history of of the wineries. You, You teach them how to properly pour, store, all this stuff to educate them. And then what ends up happening is people appreciate the differences and then they're willing to pay for it because they value it. Um, we do the same thing with cell phones. Right. I mean, you're not ripping my iPhone away from me. You can tell me how great Samsung is. And right. I, I just, I'm, I'm so devoted to it because I've been educated around it. I'm, I'm it's everywhere. I'm talking to you through a MacBook Pro right now.
0: As, I value, as am I.
1: Yeah, I value it. And so I pay for it. Pay extra. Um, so it. so two
0: things I think you, you're absolutely right. I, but two comments on this, because I think this is super interesting the The first thing that comes to mind is Paul Homily did some work with us with DOT, And the thing that I got from Paul that I had never really thought about because I used to use the word educate also. And he said, Dennis, you're not you're not educating. Educating gets you so far. What you want to do is you want to influence. Hmm. And that's what you're doing. when you're when you're spending time and helping people understand the difference between, say, being with a PPO or being a fee for service, you're influencing them. Educating is sort of giving them the information and then just sort of expecting them to sort of figure it out. What what you do more and what you do with your social media stuff and and getting to know you, you're influencing people. And that's why people will make a change. That's why people will make a decision. Because with education, people can very often just sort of be stumped, right? I I had a conversation today with a patient whose child has fractured off a tooth at the osseous crest. He's 10 and a half years old. We went through the treatment options. So what they were there for was to be educated. What I was trying to do was sort of influence them. Makes sense. Right? The the other thing is is that when we talk about this wine tasting, the reality is there are gonna be a certain amount of people that just don't give a rat's ass, excuse me. They don't care, right? And that's okay, in my mind. And that's that's what you gotta be comfortable with, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not
1: the dentist for everyone. And, and, and I tell patients this as well. You know, it's funny. You you would think that if I get a patient who's like, well, you know, this costs too much and, and I don't really want to get this. I'm not the doctor who goes out to the office and goes, I can't believe that patient doesn't want to, you know, that they're valuing price. I tell patients all the time. I go, look, you know, uh, I had somebody the other day. I said, look, you're, you're 21. You just graduated from college. This is your first job. This copay that, you, you know, that you're confused about, it's a lot of money to you right now. I get it. I'm not here to, to make you feel that, we gotta find you a better fit though. And, and, and if we can find a dentist that meets the needs financially from a philosophy standpoint, let's do that, right? Like why try and keep and pressure patients who don't belong in your style of practice? It's just gonna give headaches or provide headaches to, to your staff, to your team, to you.
0: I think the point where I where my practice took off was when I was at the point where I said, I am comfortable with the patient choosing the dentistry that's right for them. Yeah. When, I, when I truly in my heart said, I'm okay with this, I'm okay with them choosing not to do dentistry or choosing to do dentistry somewhere else or choosing a different type of dentistry. When I became comfortable with that, all of a sudden it's like the practice just sort of blossomed. When I sort of stopped trying to control people, started to control their decisions, trying to, I think, educate instead of influence, uh, it it made an enormous change in the, in the growth of my practice and the success of my practice. When I finally just sort of let go and let, I, I heard someone say, you know, it's, it's their teeth, it's their money, it's their decision. What we can do is give them guidance. We can influence them, right? We can educate, guide, and influence. But after that, we have to sort of sit back and allow, allow us to understand, allow them to understand it's their teeth, their mouth, their money. And I say that all the time to patients. You're teeth, your mouth, your money. You tell me what's best for you.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked that I'm, I'm doing that now and, and kind of, again, I wish I did it earlier, but sometimes you got to go through the ups and downs and then you got to explore insurance sometimes and see if it's a good fit for you.
0: So for patients who, are, who have been heavily working in PPO practices and you and you started out with that, how do you have conversations with patients to be able to separate yourself from the PPO into a fee for service practice. And again, this is not for everybody, for for those who want to be fee for service. Talk about those conversations.
1: I, I'm very open. I mean, we, you just talked about how, you know, I'm pretty honest on my page. I, I'm the same with patients. I tell them straight up. I go, yeah, look, I'd love to be able to provide you with this care at this lowered fee, but I can't do it. And sometimes I'll even break down the math point. I go, look, this is this is how much it is to be in San Francisco. This is, I, I, I'm very honest about that. And I, and I let them know that, that from an ethical standpoint, I don't think it's fair that some patients get charged a lower fee. I think everybody should pay the same fee because if I felt comfortable doing it for that lower fee for you, then I should feel comfortable doing it for that lower fee for everyone.
0: How do you, how do you have this conversation when you are, so let's say you're, you're part of any number of plans, And you decide that I'm gonna start dropping off plans. I'm gonna start. This is the plan that has the worst uh, you know, percentage receivables for me. I'm gonna drop this plan. How do you have a conversation with those patients? Do you call them? Do you do you meet with them in person? What would someone do? What would you recommend?
1: I did it through the six month um, you know, kind of timing where I I kind of let people know. I was like, hey, here's what's going on. Uh, I kind of gave them a heads up. That's great. And, And that way, so at their next visit, and I made sure. Like every visit to make sure that their visit that day was kind of special and, and different. You yep. know, here at, at our practice now, you know, somebody our doors are locked because of COVID. We'll probably undo that soon. But we see people, they kind of knock and they get a text message or a call and it says, Hey, you know, um, we'll be out to get you shortly. Can we get you a bathroom key or, or a bottle of water? Right. And 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 just little things like that that kind of differentiate mm-hmm. you. Yep. What's interesting. Is People say, you know what, I've got to see somebody in network, or they go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. We've had quite a few people come back and they said, you know, I went to a couple different practices and it just wasn't the same. And I see now why you practice the way you do. And it, it feels good when that happens. You it know, does. and this is why you should never be judgy or negative. If somebody wants to leave, let them find a better fit for them. Yes. You, you, don't, you can't force people to be your patient. And, and the best part about that is if they were meant to be your patient, they'll come back and it'll feel good. You'll say, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you while. What happened? Oh, Dr. Harley, I, I left and, you know, I, I was really concerned about my insurance, but then I went and, and, and I had this crown done. It didn't fit right. I was back and forth. And I remember all the crowns you did for me. And they've always fit so, so wonderfully. I'm, I'm so sorry I ever left. Oh, those make my day. You know what I mean? I,
0: I think it's beyond how the crown fits. I think it's the, the influence in the practice. I think it's how you make that person feel when they're in the chair. Absolutely. I think so often we, we think about the dentistry, but we don't think about how how is the patient feeling? What is their experience? How do we make them feel? That's that's challenging when you're running a practice and the stresses of running a practice. You and I spoke off off camera about this a little bit, about the stresses it can be from the dental work you're doing, it can be from staffing, it can be from any number of different issues that are coming in from different directions. Ultimately, when the patient's in the chair, it's about the patient. And that's what we've really tried to work on in our practice over the years, is just understanding and making sure that we know that the influence is when they're in the chair or when we're on their phone and it's all about them. And even though we have maybe this, all this stuff going on behind us, this chaos that's going on behind us, how do we make the patient feel like they're in a perfect calm and that the storm that's around them is not related to them, that they don't even know that it's going on? How do we make that happen? and it's I about being being present in the moment. And I think obviously, the, those patients that have been influenced by you that have sought you to come back is because you've had this great influence on them on how dentistry can be not the dentistry that people talk about, oh, I hate the dentist, I hate the dental environment. But you've created an environment where if they're if they don't like that, they are still in a place where you make them feel that they're special and they're unique. And this is the right spot for them. And it's That's- about spending that time when you had these conversations and this, see, I didn't have to go through this and I find this so interesting. I think this is so smart that you planned this out and you said in six months, we're gonna be dropping this plan. I need to start having these conversations now. How much pushback did you have from those patients? Was there a lot? You know what? There, not a
1: lot. I, I, I think I'm fortunate. I actually, my retention rate for many of the insurances was well over 90. Um,
0: That's fantastic. That's incredible.
1: Thank you. Um, one of the ones that was lower, I'd say maybe in the seventies, was um it starts with a D? <laughs> we,
0: we we may be familiar with them. Okay, I, I don't all... know
1: if I'm allowed to. It could be anything, but you you.
0: you <laughs> it's, it's, it rhymes with Melta. <laughs> yeah,
1: so it was tough, but they they and that was a different conversation with patients, and it was very much, hey, you know, um, they might inconvenience you to to try and seek another dentist. You know, uh they don't reimburse me directly. They'll have to reimbursed you, uh, give you a check and so you know billing will be a little of a challenge um, it is what it is and and again who am i to people are in different parts of their lives that that sometimes they, they've got to find somebody who's in network and i don't think all in network dentists are insert whatever negative connotation you want to put not there, at all not it's at all not. it's just for me personally this is a me issue my way i was practicing the way i had things structured the timing of everything it just did not work well with that
0: now having said that how do you guys work with insurance now so i don't i don't know are you completely out of ppo programs and stuff are you completely for service
1: we're completely out of ppo programs we still currently um as a courtesy still bill for for
0: patients and we do the same
1: yeah. And we try to collect up front and, and they get reimbursed on the back end or, you know, depending on, again, there's everybody's in different parts of their lives and, and they're in different situations. Financially. Sure. For some people, I'm okay with saying, look, that insurance
0: will just come a little later. But Brian, yeah. Brian you can't do that. If you, if you listen to people, you say you cannot have a practice like that today, especially as a young dentist. So for the young dentists out there, you can't be doing this. How is this possible?
1: you know I, I, again it's just how that's like okay, how about this i think if we went back in time about 10 years and, and 10 years ago i'd say i, I was probably still
0: probably old back then
1: oh no, i no i probably got my first cell phone back then <laughs> I, I was probably longer than that but let's let's go back 20 years when when you get your when cell phones were a thing right sure. do you remember when a new cell phone would come out what would you do you'd renew your plan and they'd give you that new cell phone. It was kind of like yep. a free upgrade, is what they said. And and people would always say, "Oh, I'm due for my upgrade, right?"
0: Oh, you're right. Yeah.
1: If I took a little time machine back to that time and said, "Hey, by the way, in 2021, you're gonna shell out $1,600 for a can, new phone." Can you and, imagine? And, and 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 your plan's gonna you know it, it's not even included in your plan. People are gonna go, "No, I'm not." No way. The thing is. People are educated about it. Right now it, it's
0: part of their
1: who they are and, and what they understand. I'd like to say my patients are in the know. They they value what goes on at this practice and they value themselves enough to to, to invest in in this type of care and um experience.
0: Because you spent the time. Because I spent the time you've educated to influence. Right? You didn't just send them in, you just didn't send them a letter hey, by the way, we're dropping your, your program, you had you spent the time you or your team members spent the time to help them understand why you're doing it, and why it's okay for them to continue on if that's what they want to do, but why you were not able to continue on. Am I correct? Is that is that Absolutely. right?
1: And not only that, but we almost I don't want to say we encouraged it, but we made it very easy for people to continue on. There are a lot of practices who, you know, if you're requesting records, it's like, well, we need to, we need you to sign this form, and it's going to be twenty five dollars and it'll be three. We made it really easy. We said, you know what? Um, Have your office send us this form that we can send it off direct to them. Or if you want, these are your records. You've paid for them. Let me send them so you can give them direct to your doctor. We can bypass the permissions here. Um, You know, here's uh, until you find someone. Here's our emergency number. Call us if you need anything. If you get behind, you know, it's been six months and you still haven't found a dentist, please come back in. We'll work something out. Maybe we, you know, oh, I, that's I, great. Don't, I don't, and then it's genuine, it's not a yeah. marketing scheme. I'm it, when you're genuinely caring about your patients and giving them what they deserve and the care yep. that they, they, they need. I mean, it just, you can't top that.
0: You just, that's great
1: and so i think you just have to be ethical about things
0: you know i think this is a real challenge for i know it's a real challenge for a lot of dentists and how they're going to separate themselves from their programs and i as they do it they start to realize each one that they drop off as i've talked to dentists who have done it it's like oh my god what have i been why have i been waiting so long to do this but i think it's so important that, that they have these conversations like what you're discussing these are, this is tough though, Brian. I don't think that I, this is not for the meek. This is not for the, it's not for everyone. Hey, sitting there and having these challenging conversations about finances with patients is very difficult for any dentist, especially for a young dentist to have to have these conversations. This is real challenging, I think.
1: I would say that, that uh, I might get in trouble for saying this, but but it's also tough because you have a lot of big corporations and um,
0: Absolutely. organizations
1: who come into the dental schools and they give lunch and learns, they get everybody to come for pizza and they tell them that, Hey, you've got a lot of student loans and dentistry doesn't have to be so hard. What I'm doing. they are hearing this
0: all the time.
1: They're not, it wasn't easy. It was very hard. And they'll say, it doesn't have to be this hard. Come join us and we can really get you set up. We'll take care of everything. We'll just let you do the dentistry. And all of a sudden, you're kind of caught up and you think that that's what it has to be. And, and, truth be told, it's it's tough. You probably don't hear from a lot of private practice dentists coming to dental schools to speak because one, there's no incentive. Nope. Not to say that there always needs to be an incentive, but it's tough. And two, we're, we're busy, right? Yes. I'd love to be able to go to the dental school and speak every quarter about my experience as a private practice dentist and how I'm not starving and that right. I'm not, you know, that things are going well, but it's tough because I'm in charge of all of this. I mean, I'm in my in my um, wet lab right now, but we're in charge of ordering. We, we set up this board and this system and we've got our invoices here and we came up with this system to, to kind of get this taken care of. I mean, I look around this room and it's all systems that we've built to make things run efficiently in order to to divert our focus from these little things that cause general headaches and actually yep. devote it towards our patients. Right. And, and when you do that, they value what's going on and they want to come back and you build a practice that way it's great
0: that's awesome you talked about when we were talking about building a practice you're getting out there and you're just you're letting people know that you're a dentist and you want to treat them i want to talk about your instagram mm-hmm. this is for someone like me and we do a bunch of social media with dental online training and to be completely candid for all those who might be listening watching or reading I don't do that. I, I have someone who does that. Claire does that for me because that's just not in. I don't. I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> I, my job is to develop the content, and then Claire helps by making it available for people. You, how much time do you spend doing your social media?
1: <laughs> it's kind of funny. So let's let's hope it's lower. But if I go through <laughs> my actual social media um, lecture, it shows a screenshot of in my prime. Oh, it's not so bad. So today I've got four hours of screen time okay oh, cripes oh my gosh well that I, the highest I've ever gotten that is nine hours nine and some change Brian is that healthy and again no it's not actually and and I talk a little bit about how that's unhealthy there's actually papers that show that you know when you take a break from social media that all sorts of good things happen psychologically to you. The world
0: keeps on going without you in it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And Josh Austin, if you know him, has a great lecture about mental health. Kyle Stanley's been talking about sure. mental health a lot. It's really important to kind of separate yourself from this. I'll be honest. I spent a lot of time on this one because I enjoyed doing it.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, but two, it's also transition. I told you about all the different variations of my social media page. There was a time where my main goal was how many likes and follows I could get and sure let me come up with the next video that i could film so that i could go viral and things could be shared and, sure. and it was just so
0: meaningless to me but but yeah. did that help you build your practice
1: you know what you could argue that, that 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 somehow contributed to that i i would argue that i could have done it without it and i could have really focused that energy towards patients and done the same thing i think it contributed to other things it's built up my page it's opened up other opportunities for me in terms of meeting dental companies and 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 some of my mentors of mine and, and it's interesting it's kind of like a journey that i took that that this is where i ended up but looking sure. back i think i could have done it without and and really i could have I'm, what I'm doing now is I'm taking that audience and I've, I've lost some followers for this and I've gained some as well, but I'm kind of transitioning into more positive um, information sharing. I mean, I still leak a few videos here and there and memes and, and mm-hmm. I try to keep things lighthearted and funny, but I always want to have the intent behind my posts be something meaningful rather than the intent being how many likes, follows, and shares can get this get. Um, I thought that was just so superficial of me to think like that. And now it's, you know, like even going on this podcast, can we convince one new grad coming out of school to, to maybe explore working
0: in private practice? Right. Exactly. And all and it I,
1: takes is one.
0: That's all it takes is once. And I think that our role as people who are out in practice as a profession is to help influence others in their career path. And so people are going to figure out their path and they're going to find people of influence and I, I got very fortunate on the people who I who I started following it seems yeah. that you have as well for for the young young dentist so say that so it's a recent graduate someone coming out of school and says all right I, I got to get patients I mean here's the bottom line I got to pay my bills I don't want to live I can't live on $500 a month as you learned <laughs> right right so how do, how do I go out? I know how I did it back 30 years ago. It's completely different today. So what advice do you have for the young dentists who starting out their practice?
1: I would, I would say that there's this term called a, uh, a phrase, it's a marketing funnel. I would look up sure. what a marketing funnel is. And really, just for those who don't know, the first one is just like awareness, right? It's, it's when you think marketing or advertising, you think about ads and all that is, is awareness. Hey, Brian Balilas is a dentist in San Francisco. However, creative way you can bring awareness to people. That's great. Um, You know, explore those, whether it's meeting people, if you do want to do traditional things like print ads, websites, social media, whatever you want to do, it's awareness, but then people kind of focus too much on that. And you got to remember it's a funnel and your goal is to widen that funnel as much as possible. The thing underneath awareness is consideration. Just because I say, hey, I'm Brian balios uh, I'm a dentist, if I tap somebody on the shoulder and said that on, on the bus, you know, they'd go, what the hell are you doing? Like, uh, that's right. really creepy. And there'd be zero consideration for that person to come to my practice. So you have to make it easy. And, and it's got to convince people to actually consider you. Of those people who consider coming to you, you've got to have people who actually take action and call the office and 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 so, for that, you've got to make it easy. You've got to have a phone number. Your whatever you're using, your website, your Yelp, you've got to have a link. Social media, it has to have a link that allows people to call, get directions, email you, DM, mm-hmm. whatever. They, you've got to give them action. And then, here's the best part of the funnel. My favorite part of the funnel is now that they've called, you know, they've they've made an appointment in of your office, then you have to get you know loyalty right cuz now you want somebody to go you know what not only did i call but i'm i'm, I'm this is it like this is going to be my dentist and i'm going to stay i'm not going to shop around anymore i don't care if i get awareness from others because i've found my home and then from there from loyalty then you need people who will actually speak out and tell others
0: build your tribe
1: right? that's it and the thing is we get so caught up how do i build my practice oh we've got to build a website we've got to do this we've got to do that that's all all, all awareness. But what are you doing at the tail end? All it takes is one patient to give, let's say you, you start your practice, you get one patient in the door and you give them a great experience. And that patient just happens to work at a startup two blocks away. And they had such a great experience that they go back and tell everyone and they get on their Slack channels and say, you know what guys, I know we just got new insurance where I had a really great time at this He's super informative, spent a lot of time with me. All of a sudden, you just jump that funnel and you got a wide base. All of a sudden, you get five or six patients from there, maybe more. Yep. You got to trust the system and, and you got to focus on the right part of the funnel, which is, you know, what are you doing at your office as well? You know, what are you doing to, to help people tell others about you? Are you on review sites? Are you giving out business cards? Are you, whatever it is. Um I think it's worth looking into these marketing funnels and trying to widen what that is
0: i think that's a great point because when i've looked at that it's so much interest and we get emails all of us get these emails about how to create the funnel right but you're exactly right it doesn't you get this enormous funnel you're getting people who are aware of you but then what are you doing with those people once they're aware of you right and then how do you create this loyalty
1: and, and I just got to say, and, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but it's just the reality of our practice. Right now, we're throttling things. I mean, we're trying to limit our new patients to two patient new patients a day. Like, that is our limit. And, and the reason for that is we don't want to sacrifice the experience at the cost. Of, you know, it's just like when a restaurant gets busy and all of a sudden they get overwhelmed and then you get 10 people who go, man, that food wasn't great and the service sucked. And well, then the that's prob- the end of that.
0: The problem, I think, Brian, and I, a lot of practices and our practices suffer this, is that you get so many people coming in, but you get that many people walking out the door because you're not serving them at the level that you're supposed to serve them at. And they know that. They feel it.
1: Yeah. yeah. And and again, it's a, it, it's a different practice model. Right now, with all of the CE I've taken, um, I'm sure you saw that I've been.
0: You were just over at Kois.
1: I was at the koi Center and uh, our CPA and our and our um, consultant, they they give us a lot of crap for how much money we spend on CE. But I'll be honest, my practice philosophy now is is data driven. It's this isn't just a new patient appointment. I'm taking in data, I'm gathering it, and I'm putting it through our systems. And I'm looking at things comprehensively. So I'm looking at bigger treatment plans, you know, uh, full mouth cases, um, trying to solve occlusal issues, versus what I was thought I was doing at the start, which is trying to get as many patients to the door. And then we're just doing single tooth dentistry. It's very busy that way. It's daunting. Some people love that it works. Right, But, but this isn't, again, it doesn't fit the model that I was going towards.
0: I think that's it exactly. I think you have to figure out as a young dentist, and this is hard because you don't have a lot of experience. You got to figure out what the model is that you want. Do you want to be doing a lot of single tooth dentistry, which is great. That's the model that my parents could afford. My parents could not afford to do, be a patient of mine, you know, likely. Uh, but once you figure out that model, then, then you have to stick to that. And you cannot serve both. You cannot have a high volume and a high comprehensive practice at the same time. They, you
1: know what's interesting? Hard this is kind of like a little aside here is I think it's easier to have this model of doing comprehensive full arch dentistry and help trying to get cater that towards the insurance-based patient than it is to have a practice. That's just humming a single tooth dentistry. And all of a sudden somebody comes to your door and they want to do a big case, you know, uh, Adam and I, we just heard a talk by uh, Greg Kinzer at Seattle study club symposium. And he talked about like, look, can you put people on some of these long-term temporaries and once you get them in this final position, you just go, look, your insurance covers a crown or two a year. Let's just start tackling this. I hate to say it now with the new shade matching uh, techniques and and the, you know, the labs for the porcelain powders that they're using, I could comfortably say that we could probably get a pretty good case piecemealing it together.
0: You know, well, that's part of our CPR for the worn dentition is we, you know, we rebuild the bite, we take manage all the occlusal issues we have managed all the aesthetic issues in the transitional period or prototype period. And then we're able to do quadrant by quadrant, tooth that's by good. tooth, and we can fit into the patient's budget, whatever, whatever that is. Yeah, I agree. Before we finish up, I did want to talk to you about COIS and how you got influenced into COIS. and uh, we just talked to Adamo last month and I was influenced by Frank Spear as a young dentist, but John Coise also was a great influence to me. And I've seen John a number of times and he's yeah. just outstanding. How did you end up with uh, working through Coise?
1: You know, a lot of people have been asking me that. They see me checking into the Coise Center or posting about it and they say, sure. well, how do you choose that over the other? Um,
0: Spear, Dawson, Pinky.
1: And I don't think that it's necessarily choosing them over the others. I think they're all great. I think if you're going to choose a continuum, choose it, stick with it you know, go through a, a series for me, what really pushed me though, is I think we all need to find mentors yep. and you need to find people who are doing the type of dentistry you want, who have practices the way you'd want a practice to be set up or are living their lives in a similar, you know, like to have a lifestyle that, that you achieve, that you want to have. And so for me, I have a lot of mentors. I've been collecting them and, and I, how'd you I, find them? you know, a lot of it is just, for me, it's been social media.
0: That's one of the the things that I'm so fortunate to have is just people connecting with me through social media. Um, did you connect with your mentors? So for like a young dentist and stuff. So when you, so who did you reach out to? How did you end up in Koi's? Like what was your big, who were your big mentors for that? Uh, Adamo was a big push as was Amanda C.
1: Um, they were like, you know, you, this is how you do this type of dentistry and did you and,
0: reach out to them through social media did you ig them just do it do a I, message I did. to them and,
1: and, and that's the crazy thing about the world today is we're so hyper connected you know you can now send a message to almost right. anyone and yeah and say hey you know i've got this case i know you're busy you think i could shoot you over four or five pictures and just show you what and ask sure. me? i mean it's so easy to connect with people and again there's no right or wrong but if you have people who you look up to who you follow and you just say hey how'd you get where you are Yep. and they say hey i did x y and z now that kind of gives you a pathway um and every mentor i have they don't want me to just follow that path they want me to follow the path and like go beyond right you know, they they want to push on and, and and so it's not just sticking with that i i explore all sorts of ce's um, all these little adjuncts, um, and, and I'm just been taking little pieces here and there, and trying to build my own my own little system, my own little practice.
0: What advice do you have for? Well, so I want to go back to social media for one second because yeah. I'm curious about what advice you would give to like an old guy like me, or a more senior or middle career dentist. And let's <laughs> say they say they don't have any they don't have any influence, but they keep hearing it. You got to get onto social media. What what would you what would you tell them about what social media really means as far as how it should impact your practice?
1: I don't know if you remember this. We actually had a conversation. I think it was at Chicago midwinter at an Ivo Clark party. And and I remember saying, Hey, I'm on this mission right now to try and get as many people like you, and I'm not gonna use the word old because you're not old,
0: you're Look at this, this is gray.
1: <laughs> you're an, experience, <laughs> an experienced dentist, somebody who's had great success. You have been influential, you, you have done so much and contributed so much to dentistry. What's interesting is the only reason I know that is because I've had mentors who have led me to understand the history of, of, of dentistry and, and how things progress and who the, the key players have been in the last five to 10 years, right? And I understand that. And so now with this platform I have, one of the goals I've had is how do I connect some of my younger followers to this to to some of these more experienced people who have so much to give. And again, I would say that my advice is to change your metric because a lot of people get on and they think, oh man, like okay, I'm posting all this content but I'm not getting a lot of likes and I'm not sure. getting you hear that all the time. followers and it's not really I'm not the one I always get is well I'm not getting much traction. And I'm going, it's not about traction. It's about you putting yourself out there and then trying to build relationships, right? Because people are looking for these mentors and feel free to use me. Um, People do it all the time. Reach out and say, Hey, you know, I've got this lecture coming up. It's on this. And I'll say, Oh my gosh, that's so great. And I'll post and, and connect you with some people. I've been trying to share as much CE as I can, because there's this I'm trying to be the conduit between this experienced more knowledgeable foundation the people who aren't speaking at the dental schools by right. the way who are who could be of value to some of these younger dentists myself included. And so my advice is put out content like think about what message you want to give and it could be anything. It could be like a tip that you do daily or you know and I'm coming from a KOL key opinion leader standpoint if you have stuff to share there but even if you're doing practice stuff
0: you know, so so let's say you're I just a mid-career don't. dentist and you're here and I need to do this for my practice. And I've heard you talk about make it personal. So if you're like if you if you're someone who likes to spin, you're in a spin class, is that the stuff that people should be posting in their dental practice Instagram? Or if they're trying to build their practice, should it be more about the team or is it a combination? How do you how do you balance that? I think it one starts with what your culture is and figuring out what you're
1: trying to show and, and share with patients, what vibe you're trying to give, okay. and then you post about that. Um, you can audit things like, hey, when you are building rapport with new patients, what do you talk about? And you can ask your dental team. You can just say, hey, you know when I'm talking to new patients. What are, what are the things I always talk about? Like, what do I bring up? Family, my hobbies, like Michigan,
0: where- Michigan football, Michigan basketball. Michigan football, that just Ohio lost last Ohio year.
1: State, right? I'm no, sure you're talking we do about,
0: not that. Talk about that. <laughs> those those words are not in our in our
1: office but but that's my point so if that's a big part of you and it's important to you why not share that with potential patients i think the advice that i'll give too is when you're starting a page know who your audience is so here you are you start a page for your practice you should be connecting with potential patients no need to connect with me or you know uh other other influencer right yeah it's like it's not about the numbers. Don't do that thinking, oh, well, I'm going to get more followers. It's not about followers. That Remember the funnel. What we want are people who are actually going to call and click and make appointments and people who are going to speak and tag about you. That's what's important. Not so rather all,
0: than having 4,000, if you get 40, that follow through then yeah. you're much better than, than having this huge funnel and you're only having five people or two people that follow yeah. through.
1: Think, think about if, if you posting about your spin or you're uh, about being a Michigan fan, let's say you get one patient who happens to be, you know, the athletic director of the program or whatever, right. right? It, that's it. You've won because now right. you, give that person, a great experience. And it, it goes from there. It's not about this, this, email blast of a page where it's like you constantly have to be posting just connect with people that's all it is it's a community we talked about building community and and joining a church group joining uh, sports leagues this is just one big community it's a digital community i've been fortunate to connect with a lot of the people in the dental community dental professionals Mm -hmm. i learn from them i share tips tricks ce experiences but if you're dealing with patients then Connect with them. Share who you are. Share in their interests. Um, You're just trying to connect with people. It's social media. So just go out and be social.
0: Excellent. I could talk all night. That wouldn't be fair to you. (laughs) I I am super, super grateful. I I do have a final question and then I leave it to you. So the successes that you've had to this point in your career, what do you attribute your successes to?
1: Mm, That's such a good question. Thank you. You know what, I, I would attribute it to just previous experience, pre, my previous experiences and being able to learn from them. Um, I think I used to be scared of making mistakes. And now it's not so much that I'm scared of making mistakes, I, I, I welcome them and I accept them. I still try to avoid them, but I accept them and I learn from them. And so I'm not perfect, and you know, like I said, you you can go back in time and probably find snapshots of my life or things I've posted or things I've said that that aren't. I'm probably not proud of, right? Sure. But I've learned from them and I've tried to be better. You know, we can always find cases that that aren't that that we look back and we go, oh,
0: oh. But like, absolutely.
1: But what are we doing about that? Like, are we using it to better ourselves today? And and I think that's kind of been my big focus and that's really been helping me one not get so down about things that i've done or, or cases or results of endpoints um but it's also helped me grow because then now it's it, it helps me kind of springboard forward um from those and just be a little better that's awesome
0: yeah if people want to reach out to you where how do they find you uh shoot me an email it's it's DDS at
1: gmail or you can dm me on instagram um yeah. Or hopefully one of these days we'll be able to Chicago midwinter or, or, of Academy. or yeah. Oh, AR I love that place. I mean, yeah. that that is hands down my favorite uh, meeting to go to. And I'm such a lit nerd that when I get that little USB in the mail, yeah. uh, it goes straight into my computer, I review things, I re- reference notes that I took in my phone. And I just keep
0: a little folder of it. Oh, it's great. That's a it's great, great. Two days. Yeah. Brian, I can't thank you enough. I, this is uh, so much to ask for people like you that join us after these long days at the office, and to share and to share in the way that you do. That again, I said earlier that you're so completely vulnerable, and that for people like you that are wel- are willing to share and allow others to learn from their experiences, uh, I can't thank you enough. It's really, it's just awesome. I'm so appreciative. So thank you oh, so I, much.
1: I'm honored you even asked me to be on here. So
0: I no. thank you. Dental Online Trainers, this is Dr. Dennis Hartleave. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you at our next ShareCast and look for us, of course, on the Dental Online Training website, check out our courses. We do, for those who are watching this, we have a course coming up in May, our six tooth, direct resin veneer course that we're gonna be doing live virtually. So we look forward to seeing you all soon and yours for better dentistry. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley thanks.